Hey everyone, how's it going? Just gonna get it set up. How's everyone going? We're good? Yeah, bit of energy? No? We're quiet? Alright, that's cool. Um, my name's Tom, if you don't know who I am, and I have the massive privilege tonight of opening up God's Word after an amazing week here at Summerfest. Um, it's been so good because at one point it didn't look like it was going to happen, but we're here and we had a great time and deal or no deal was the most insane thing I've ever seen, so that was a good time. Um, this week at Youth, we've been looking at this theme of restored. Um, and we've been doing that by looking through Luke's Gospel and tonight I'm going to be continuing that series by looking at Luke 19, which is just read out for us. But before I do that, I'm going to pray. So if you want to join me, that would be amazing. Thank you. Lord God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that it has the power to save lives, Lord, to bring salvation to all who are seeking, Lord. And we pray tonight that as we open up your word, that you would be with us. Um, Lord, I pray that whatever I've written on these pages would fall to the ground and that you would speak to us. Amen. So thinking about this idea of restored, it's kind of just a different way of saying fixed, right? If something's broken, it needs to be restored or fixed. And when I was thinking about this idea this week, I was reminded of a couple of weeks ago when my wife, Ali, gave me a task. Now, the doorknob in our bedroom had broken recently and was kind of falling off, and she said to me, Tom, can you fix it? And obviously, you know, trying to assert myself as a man and capable of fixing things, I said, yeah, no worries, that's easy, I've got this in the bag, not a problem. So I watched a YouTube video, it seemed pretty simple, right? And if you've fixed a doorknob before, you know it's literally like a five-minute task, it's not that hard. So I went off to Bunnings, purchased a fresh new doorknob, thought, yep, feeling good about this, got there, took the old doorknob off, and then started to put it in. But before I had had a chance to put the actual handles on the door, the fan in the room blew the door shut. <laughs> and I was stuck in my bedroom with no one home and no one coming home for hours with a door that didn't work. At first, I thought it was kind of funny. But then 10 minutes went by of trying to open the door, and 20 minutes went by, and 30 minutes went by, and the frustration just continued to grow to the point where I was like, I'm just going to smash the door down. I don't even care. I'm just going to smash it down. Anyway, that didn't work. So what I had to do then was destroy the fly screen of our window, climb out the window of our apartment, come around the other side, and then try to open the door, which still took me another half hour, and I destroyed a kitchen knife in the process. Don't ask me why. It was a hot mess, right? And by the end of it, I had finally opened this door after like completely destroying the door handle and like pulling it out of the door, but I was not going to be defeated. I went back to Bunnings, I got a new door handle, and I fixed it in five minutes like I should have, and it took three hours, but I got the job done. Thank you. Thank you. I know, that was a bit of a journey, that was a bit of a journey, but I think that little silly story there kind of paints a picture for us, right? Because I think actually as humans, we all long to, for things to be fixed and restored. And you know why I think that? I think because when we look at the world today that we live in, we see a lot of problems, right? We see a lot of things that are, are not good. We see racism, we see poverty, we see sickness, greed, corruption, and we just long for a time in which these things would be fixed, when they would be made new. Maybe even an example that we can all relate to at the moment is COVID, right? And I'm, I'm sick of talking about it. But at the same time, we're all so keen for our old way of life to be restored, right? We all long for that day when we don't have to wear a mask anymore, when we're not worried about restrictions, and when we feel like we can go to the shops and not be putting our loved ones at risk. 
Or maybe for you, it's the environment. Maybe you drive past a place that used to be full of leafy green trees and you see an apartment building and you long for the days when we would value the environment. Or maybe you have a chronic illness or injury and you wish that one day your body could be restored to the way it used to be. Or maybe a bit more sensitive, maybe there are people in your life, friends or family members, they used to be so close to, but after a heated argument, it's just not the same anymore. And you wish that that relationship could be restored. Anyway, as we kind of dwell on this topic of restored, I've got a big idea for us to be thinking through tonight, which is that Jesus has come to seek our restoration. And tonight, I want to look into the Bible and see if we can answer these three questions, which are, why do we need to be restored? Who can bring about our restoration? And how should we respond to this offer of a restored relationship? So that's where we're heading. Let's crack into the passage. So as was read by Jamie before, in the first four verses of, this, of Luke chapter 19, we meet a guy called Zacchaeus. And we learn that he's a tax collector, and in fact, the chief tax collector of this place called Jericho. Now, at the time, from my understanding, Jericho was a pretty wealthy city. There was a lot of things happening there, lots of businessmen. So it was, it was a place that was reasonably prosperous. And Zacchaeus was also quite a wealthy man, we learn. But he wasn't a wealthy man because he was a good businessman, or because he'd made good investments, or even because he was just smart with his money. He was wealthy because he was a fraud. He ripped people off. When he collected their taxes, he would always request more money so that he could pocket a little bit for himself on the side. And this kind of builds this picture of why tax collectors at the time were some of the most hated people in all of ancient Jerusalem, basically. And another reason why they were hated is because the Roman Empire at the time was kind of governing the Jewish people and making them pay taxes to Caesar. And Zacchaeus is a Jewish man, so there's kind of this thing here where he has kind of turned his back on his own people and he's ripping off his own people to pay a foreign government. It's pretty ridiculous. Hey, like, you would be so filthy if you were a Jewish person. You would be like, this guy is supposed to be my mate, and he's cutting, he's taking all this money away from me and giving it to Caesar. It's a stitch up. The only way I could try to maybe sort of give us an example of what this would be like in our life is maybe if a parking ranger was to fine you. Now, I feel like we all like to hate parking rangers, even though at the end of the day, we're the ones in the wrong, right? Like, we have disobeyed the parking rules. But can you imagine if they gave you a fine and you had completely obeyed the parking rules on the sign? You'd be filthy, right? Well, I think that's kind of how people would have felt towards Zacchaeus. They'd be filled with so much anger that he was just ripping people off left, right, and center. And thinking about a guy like Zacchaeus, I come back to that idea that we were thinking about at the start, that there's all these problems with this world, right? And the problem with people like Zacchaeus is they feed this idea that greed and money is the biggest thing in life. And it doesn't matter who you step on, as long as you're rich, it's worth it, right? And I think we kind of want to get angry at Zacchaeus and say, you're what's wrong with the world. But I think when we think about the bigger problems of the world, like poverty, greed, inequality, corruption, the real problem is actually sin, right? That's the biggest problem. These things are just results of sin. And if you don't know what sin is, sin is quite simply turning our back on the way that God wants us to live. You see, God is our creator. He created us with a good way for living. He designed us to live his way, 
And sometimes we think that that's, you know, all about following rules and things like that, but it's actually for our benefit. God's designed a good way for us to live, but when we turn our back on this, when we say to God, no, God, I don't want to live your way, I want to do what I want, there are consequences. And what they are is that sin infiltrates the world and all of these evil things result. But even further, our sin has actually separated us from God. We were created to be in a relationship with Him, to serve Him, to know Him, to love Him, and to live His way. But because of our sin, this relationship that was once beautiful and perfect is broken. We too are a problem, a part of the problem here. Whilst we might look at Zacchaeus and reflect on our own lives and think, well, yeah, but I'm not ripping people off, you know, like I might tell a lie here or there. But that's not the point. The point is that we all are affected by sin and we all have separated ourselves from God. Bizarrely enough, the thing that needs restoration in our world is us. We are the result, we are the ones caught up in sin and resulting evil in the world. Even just this week, I was reflecting on how my selfishness at times completely just brings out evil, you know? Sometimes when I'm selfish, it hurts other people. It hurts God. There's negative effects to it. And I wonder what it is for you. Is it maybe gossiping and saying terrible things about your friends that maybe you really care about, but you just want to say something so that someone else would think you're cool? Behind their back. Or maybe you're easily angered or lose your temper or, I don't know, are you selfish? Or maybe even you are ripping people off in your job. Sin is a reality for anyone who's walked on this earth. And if we think that we have escaped this, then we deceive ourselves. And I know this is a pretty brutal way to start the Summerfest celebration, but I wanted to share this with you guys so that we can recognize that we need restoration. Because if we're sitting here thinking that we don't need to be restored, then we're missing something huge. We're missing something great that God is offering to us. So the answer to our first question is that we need restoration because our sin has separated us from God. It has separated us from this loving relationship with our Creator. This was the reality for Zacchaeus, but it's our reality too. But it's not all bad news. Because God, being rich in mercy, has made a way for this relationship to be restored. And that's ultimately what we've been looking at this whole week at Summerfest. The ways in which God has, the things that God has done through Jesus to bring us back into a relationship with Him. So let's go back to the passage for a minute. And we read in verse 4 that Zacchaeus climbs a fig tree to get a look at Jesus. And it seems like a pretty strange thing to do, right? Like, I, I did read the passage, I do get that he's a short person. But at the same time, why would you put yourself in the sight of everyone in this space when so many people there likely hate you? And I don't know, maybe would be happy to hurl abuse at you and tell you that what they think about you. Why does he go and climb up a tree just to get a glimpse of Jesus, a man that he's, he's never met before? I think the answer is, is that Zacchaeus has hit rock bottom. He's had that point in his life where his wealth can only take him so far. He stepped on so many people. He's chased after money his whole life, and it's worked. He's rich. He's made it, right? But there's still something missing. There's still something that makes him think that 
I have not made it. There's still a hole in my heart, something that, is, that I have not achieved yet. And I want to say that that is a relationship with God. And I think if we're being honest, we've all had that moment, right? Where we've kind of thought that we're just missing something, or we think that once I get here, or once I do this, then I'll have made it. I remember when I was 16, a lot of your kids, a lot of you guys aged right now, and I thought I had made it. When I had all the friends that I wanted to have, I was invited to all the parties that I wanted to go to, everything was great. But then when I was told about Jesus, and I recognized my need to be restored to this God who created me and that his way of life was better, I think I realized how much I was missing out on, how much more God has in store for us than just acquiring wealth or going to parties. And I want to ask you tonight, if you think that there's something missing in your life, if you think you've been looking for meaning in all the wrong places, I want to say that your answers are here. The answer is Jesus. And if, it is, and if you think that this is what you're missing out on, I want to read verse 10 with you, because Jesus actually has a plan to restore this relationship with God, with us and God. This is what verse 10 says. It says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. It's a simple verse, but what it means is that Jesus has a plan to deal with our sin. And in fact, it involves him coming down to earth, God making himself a man so that we would no longer be lost to God. The son of man is a bit of a weird term, right? I don't really know what that means when you first read it, but it's a really powerful statement to the Jewish people of the time. Because for all of the Old Testament, God and the prophets have been saying that a a promised Messiah or a saviour would come to save the Jewish people, to save them from their slavery, but also to save them from their sin. And when Jesus refers to himself as that, he says two things, that he is that saviour, but also that he is God. He is both human and God, and that, and that also that he is God's as I said. Despite what many people might say, Jesus didn't come to earth just to be a good moral teacher, or to be a historical figure, or even a revolutionary political leader. He came with one big goal. He did lots of other things, but one big goal, which was to save sinners, to repair this relationship to the one true God of the world. This is our God's mission. He doesn't want to deal with us from a distance, but instead he made himself one of us so that he may be able to restore this broken relationship. So as a result, we read here in verse 5 that Jesus approaches Zacchaeus and he invites him down from the tree. Now Zacchaeus was lost and recognized that he needed something more, but Jesus is the one that goes after him. He is the one who seeks him out and offers him a restored relationship to our God, offering him eternal life and a life following Jesus. And friends, this is on offer to us tonight as well. Just as Jesus offered this to Zacchaeus, this is a reality for you tonight as well. And you know what? I can sense some of the objections out there. I can sense some of you thinking, yeah, but Tom, why would I be interested in that? My life's pretty great at the moment. Why why do I need Jesus as well? I don't actually think I'm missing out on anything. And I might be biased in saying this, but I actually think if you say no to this offer of a restored relationship with God, you stand to lose so, so, so much more than if you were to continue living the way you were. 
What's on offer is eternal life with the God who made you. No more pain, no more death, no more evil in the life to come. But then the question is, who is this God and why should we follow him? And I think we get some good answers in verses 5 to 7. So I'm going to read that out for us again. It says this, When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. So once again, something that we see here initially is that Jesus is the one who makes the first move. Even when we weren't even really sure why we were lost or what we need, he is the one who comes after us. He approaches Zacchaeus and the passage actually says that he reached the spot, which tells me that he had planned this meeting with Zacchaeus. He knew Zacchaeus was looking for something and because Jesus is the, is the God who seeks and saves the lost, he was there ready to offer him new life. Friends, I want to say that this is an encouragement to us because we can know that if we are seeking after God, that he will find us. He will find us and he is offering us salvation and a restored life following God. Secondly, what we get from the passage is we know that God loves us and knows us deeply. Do you notice that Zacchaeus, Jesus has never met Zacchaeus before, but he calls him by name, and he offers, he, he asks to have dinner with him and come to his house? Seems like something friends would do, right? Not, not someone who's never met them before. But the reality we learn here is that God knows each and every one of you deeply, intimately, and even better than you know yourself. We read in Psalm 139, which is written by David, how well God knows us. It says this, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. Isn't that amazing? That before we do anything, before we even speak, before we even think about speaking, God knows what's on our hearts. God knows what we're going to say. And I guess the, that's an exciting thing because I think as humans, our greatest desire is to be loved, to be understood, to be known. And God knows us. And, invite, and when he offers us this restored relationship, he's giving us a chance to get to know him as well. But even furthermore, if God knows all about us, he knows the worst parts about us as well. He knows the parts of us that we're ashamed to tell people. He knows the parts of us that we wish didn't happen. But what's even more interesting is that how he responds to someone like Zacchaeus. He knows everything that Zacchaeus has done, all of the terrible things, but how does he respond to him? When all the people are laughing at Zacchaeus and calling him a sinner, Jesus approaches him and shows him mercy and forgiveness and love. And Jesus is the same with you too. If you think there are parts of your life that are too dark for God or parts of your life that you're ashamed of, God knows, and he loves you just the same. He doesn't, has not changed his opinion of you. He's not even surprised. He's come to seek and save sinners. He is here for you. And what we learn in verse 9 too is that about how Jesus actually restores Zacchaeus. And it's actually a pretty remarkable statement. Let's have a look at verse 9. 
Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this household because this man too is a son of Abraham. So right there, we see that Jesus has the power to give us salvation or eternal life. Right then and there, he gives it to Zacchaeus as soon as he shows interest, as soon as he comes down from that tree and more or less says to Jesus, I want in. I'm interested in this this relationship with God that you're offering Jesus. He gives him salvation. He says, brother, salvation has come to you. And even more so, let's remember that Zacchaeus has pretty much turned his back on all of his Jewish friends by ripping them off. And Abraham is such an important figure for the Jewish people that Jesus affirms Zacchaeus saying, you are a son of Abraham, meaning that you, Zacchaeus, are a part of my family. You belong in my household. Isn't that amazing? And I think in that moment, that's the moment when we can say Zacchaeus has been restored or he's on that way to restoring that relationship with God and it has all come about because of Jesus. Zacchaeus is still a man who's ripped people off his whole life, but in that moment, God has shown him mercy and forgiveness. And that is on offer for you guys tonight as well. And finally, a great thing and a reason why we should follow Jesus is in just a few chapters to seal the deal for our restored relationship with God and to pay for all of the sin in our life. He goes to the cross and dies for us. I just took a moment when I was preparing this before and recognized that we were the ones who turned our back on God. We were the ones who did everything to push him away and to break this relationship, but he's the one who repairs it. And we weren't deserving of that at all, but he does it anyway. And he does it in the most outrageous of circumstances. He dies for the people who hate him and have turned their back on him. And it's not out of obligation. It's not out of duty. It's not out of reluctance. But as we read in Ephesians 2, it's because of his great love for us. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our transgressions. How amazing does that make our God? When we had turned our backs on him, his love was stronger. And his love has saved us and has given us this chance at a restored relationship with him. This is the restoring work of our Savior. But the question is for us, what do we do with this tonight? We've established that we are in need of restoration because of our sin, because our sin has separated us from God and has given distance to our relationship. And we've seen that Jesus is the one who can bring about our restoration. Without him, it's not going to work. He is the way, the truth, and the life. But what do we do with this offer of a restored life that is given to us tonight? Well, if you're a follower of Jesus tonight, I think it's pretty easy to hear this passage and say, yep, sweet, done, already did that, no worries, play on. But I think we can do a bit better. Firstly, I think we need to praise God when we read passages like this, because we need to see that we were once lost. We need to remember that moment that we were once disconnected from God, but God sought us out. He chased after us like we were that lost sheep, and he found us and brought us back in. And I think we need to praise God for that. We need to be excited and thankful to him that he's a good God who loves us. Secondly, we don't know who's seeking Jesus out. We don't know who's trying to find answers to life. And we need to be honest and say that there might be Zacchaeuses in our life. There might be people out there who we don't think want to hear about Jesus or maybe even would never consider it. But I want to encourage you tonight that we need to spread the good news of the gospel far and wide. 
We need to not worry about who it is. We need to be willing to spread it to all people because it's good news. And thirdly, we need to see the way that Zacchaeus responds to Jesus and be honest with ourselves. And I want to read verse 8 before I talk about that a bit more, which says this, But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give a half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. So what's going on here is that Zacchaeus, in this moment, once he's made this choice to follow Jesus, once he said, yes, I'm in, I want this restored relationship with God, there is change, and it's dramatic change even. He gives up everything, literally everything that his life has been built on is money to this point, and he gives it all up in one go. And I'm not saying we have to do that, but I think we need to be honest with ourselves about what are we willing to give up to follow Jesus? I had this moment um, in 2015-16 where I'd been traveling for about three months throughout Europe, and it was the best time of my life. It was amazing. I saw so many things. I did so many of the best things I'll ever do. Um, and I had this moment where I was sitting in this place in Slovenia. There should be a picture of it coming up. Um, it's called Lake Bled, and it's beautiful. It's like so quiet, just this tiny little town with a castle in the middle of a lake. And I felt it was at the end of the trip, and I was sitting there reflecting on how awesome it had been and you know, all the sacrifices I had made to get there, but how it was worth it, and how I just wanted to plan the next trip and keep going, keep doing this stuff. And I just felt God nudge me for a minute and say, Tom, would you still follow me if you had to give all this up? If I asked you to do something radical, if I asked you to never go overseas again, would you be in? And it was a bit of a hard question to answer. And I think the way that Zacchaeus responds tonight to Jesus, the way that he is all in, doesn't matter what the cost is, I'm in, Jesus. Doesn't matter if people continue to hate me, I'm in. I want what you're offering. I think as Christians, if we're still holding on to some things, we need to think about who our God is. We need to think about what he's calling us to. And then finally tonight, if you aren't a follower of Jesus, it's my prayer that you see the need to be restored. Not in a way that I make you feel like a bad person, but in a way that God wants to restore the relationship with you tonight. And we need to recognize that we have a part to play in that. Our sin has separated us from him. But God is your heavenly father. He knows you deeply. And whilst you've walked away from him and become lost, he has chased after you and is continuing to chase after you. And what he offered Zacchaeus was a new life, a life with Jesus as his Lord and a life where whilst he would continue to sin, that God had paid the price for his sin in full. Welcomed him into God's family as a child of God. Friends, this offer of a restored relationship with God is yours tonight also. And I urge you, receive it as Zacchaeus did, joyfully and without hesitation. If tonight you think that this is something you're interested in, do it. Don't hold back. Don't wait another day. Finally, I want to read you a quote from one of my favorite Christian authors summarizing what this new life is like on offer for you tonight. should be on the screen in a second. It says this, There is no peace like the peace of those whose minds are possessed with full assurance that they have known God and God has known them, and that this relationship guarantees God's favor to them in life through death and on forever. Friends, this is what Jesus is offering us, a relationship where we are known, loved, and we have a heavenly Father who has done all the work for us and paid for our sin in full. I'm going to pray in a minute, 
And if you think you want to become a follower of Jesus tonight, I ask that you'd pray this prayer in your heart or in your head. And then the other thing I want to ask of you is that if you do pray that prayer, that you'd say something to someone tonight, someone that you came along with, anyone that you've seen on stage tonight, any of the staff, or even me, because we want to celebrate with you and we want to talk about the next steps because this is a great, great joy that you've decided to follow Jesus. So let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you're a God that has chased after us, that despite the ways in which we've turned our back on you, that you have loved us with an everlasting love and pursued us fully. Lord, we ask tonight that you would forgive us of our sins, Lord. We acknowledge that we have gone our own way. Lord, please forgive us, but thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you that Jesus has paid the price in full for us. And we ask now that you would help us to live your way, that, we would help, that you would restore this relationship with God, and that you would help us to live out our days following you. Amen.